0: be in 1 First Peter, First Peter chapter 4 this evening. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me there. Again, we are going through this series uh, through the book of First Peter. This is uh, an expository uh, type of lessons as we look verse by verse as to what Peter is writing and hopefully to understand what Peter is saying at that time period, but also uh, to apply those same uh, truths into our lives. Since the 1980s, there was a man uh, who lived in the Philippines by the name of Ruben Anahe. And what he would do is he portrayed Jesus' crucifixion and death on Good Friday every year in front of tourists and in front of the locals. And he did this actually 33 times in his life where he literally was crucified on a cross. Uh, These four-inch nails were driven through his hands and his feet. Uh, He did this again for 33 straight years. It wasn't until uh, COVID in 2020 and 2021 and 2022. He wasn't allowed to do this uh, in those years. Uh, But he would actually literally do this as he would suffer uh, upon this cross. But, you know, here's the catch. He was only up there for five minutes Uh, Before being taken down and medically treated and uh, he said that uh, the wounds would take up to two, uh, two weeks to fully heal for him every time that he did this but it was just a small price to pay he said to be able to express his faith through this extreme act. Well, we've been reading through uh, the First Peter. And again, First Peter is all about suffering for the Christian. And First Peter chapter 4 in particular that we're going to look at tonight, uh, this word suffering or suffer comes up over and over again. And just to kind of jump into you know, some of the things that Peter wrote, he wrote in verse 13 that we uh, share in the sufferings of Christ. In verse 16 he says, if anyone suffers as a Christian. And in verse 19 he says, those who suffer according to the will of God. Well, I don't know if uh, Mr. Uh, Reuben and I had, you know, actually, uh, you know, had good intentions or not with what he was portraying, you know. But it, it, I think to myself, is that, you know, is that the type of suffering that, that Jesus uh, intended for you and I to endure? And I don't believe so. And we're going to look at some of those things here. in again, in first Peter, chapter four, again, the, the theme of First Peter chapter 4, when you study it, is often suffering. But we've elected to go the route of hope. Uh, we see, again, hope is a huge a topic, a huge word that comes up over and over again. Uh, but again... Uh, as we've made it here to chapter 4 the, this evening, again, the suffering is going to come up over and over again. So we're really going to uh, have to you know, examine you know, why Peter is bringing this up so much at this point in the letter. So as we read through the verses again tonight, you know, maybe keep your, your ears uh, tuned to that word and notice how Peter uses it. And hopefully it will strengthen our hope. Uh, in the scriptures and in Peter's uh, words. So First Peter chapter 4, starting in verse 1, uh, we notice here that uh, Peter writes, Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. You know, Christ's suffering... Uh, throughout Scripture has taken many different forms. You know, first, or excuse me, John chapter one verse eleven uh, reminds us that he was rejected by his own. It was like going to a family reunion and them rejecting you. That's the same thing that happened to Jesus when he went. came to earth and to live uh, a life in the flesh, and he came to his own, meaning the Jews, and they rejected him. They rejected him as king, and, and they rejected him as savior. Uh, maybe uh we we recall the sufferings of Jesus uh, with the many crowds that he dealt with uh, the long hours of healing and and pro- uh, providing miracles and um, casting out demons, but probably what Peter has in mind in this verse uh, is the cross, you know the suffering upon the cross, and Peter said, there arm yourself also." with the same purpose arm yourself with the same mind it literally he's telling us to prepare ourselves to get ready for this suffering again the same way that christ dealt with suffering you do it too you remember he told us all the way back in chapter two uh, you know jesus was reviled and he didn't revile in return as christians uh, when we're reviled we do not revile back when our life is threatened, we don't threaten back. Uh, when we are slandler, slandered or falsely accused, don't react. Uh, and cease from sin, he says there at the end of verse one, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. It's not that we no longer sin. We understand that, but we're done with it, right? We're, we're putting it away. We're putting that lifestyle away. We want nothing uh, to do with it anymore. We're making this clean break. And again, that's my attitude Uh, Peter says, of the Christian. That that we are to cease from sin. No matter how we lived in the past, no matter what our life was like in the flesh, our focus now is is on God's will. Look at verses 3 through 5. Because now he's going to talk about the absence of purity in their lives. "For, For the time already past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desires of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lust. Drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries, in all this they are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excesses of dissipation, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. You know, Peter says, you know, you spent your, uh, your past lives living like the Gentiles. And then he says, that was, that was sufficient for that time. You know, th- there's a little bit of sarcasm there, a hint of it. Uh, uh, that was sufficient at that time, but not anymore, right? Uh, that's like parents telling their children, you know, you've been doing that long enough. It's time for you to stop and now uh, and act, uh you know, the way I want you to. But what kind of life were those? Uh, were they pursuing when they were Gentiles, uh, when they were walking and living in it? And, and Peter gives us a list right there in verse three. And you might want to look at your translation because I know that some of these translations differ. Uh, and I'll hopefully I'll catch on each one of these words here. But uh, I had one teacher who, uh, whenever he said, whenever there's a list in Scripture, you need to kind of stop and take account of each of those words, and, and you know make sure you understand what's being said. And so the first thing he says there is uh, when you were living that life as a Gentile, your life was about sensuality or lewdness. I really mean you didn't have self-control. Uh, you had no regard for God. And so you jumped in you know, headfirst into the, these, these acts, uh, lusts and passions, he said, again, illicit desires in our lives, especially those of a sexual nature. He said drunkenness. Uh, we understand that, an excess of alcohol consumption. And then uh, the next word, carousing or revelries or orgies. Uh, these were feasts. Uh, we have to recall uh, the time period that they're living in in the first century is there's a lot of false worship, idol, idol worship going on. And so there were a lot of these, uh, these false gods who, you know, you'd go to their temple and you would, um, you know, you know, falsely worship uh, to them by uh, these these drunken parties that, that Peter is talking about here. These carousing, these revelries, these feasts that were dedicated to Greek gods. You know, he uses the word drinking parties in my translation. Um, you know, the, these competitions that individuals would have uh, again consuming alcohol, alcohol trying to outdrink their opponent. He says these are things you need to get out of your life. You, know, you no longer live this way. And then he finishes that list by uh, referring to abominable idolatries or lawless I- idolatries. Again, uh, the, the, this, this false worship. And so, uh, you know, but, but look at verse four, because he says, basically what he's saying is, you know, when your old buddies call you up and they want to go hang out and you know what that means and, and what it can lead to, you don't do it. Because now you follow Christ. You don't take part in that life anymore. But they're surprised. They're insulted that you don't want to live the way that they want to live. You don't want to go do what they want to do. Why is that? Well, it's because as Christians, we're called to live counterculture in this life. You know, when we say no, excuse me, when we say no, that we're not going to do those things, you know, we're in, we're indicting them. We're indicting their actions through our non actions. And so they malign you, Peter says, they, they slander you. You know, you think you're better than me? You you know, those are sort of the reactions that we get. But then verse 5 tells us again that Jesus is ready to judge the living and the dead. Again, don't worry about their attacks on you. God will deal with them. Leave the judgment to God. Leave the revenge to God. That's his his to deal with. And then in verse 6, Peter writes, For the gospel has for this purpose been preached. Even to those who are dead, that though they are judged in the flesh as men, they may live in the spirit according to the will of God. You know, the gospel message saves right? it is the power of God to salvation to those who believe to the Jew first and also the Greek. Our lives will be judged in the flesh, Peter says. And if we are to live in the spirit, meaning we are to live on an eternal life in the presence of God in heaven, then we must live according to his will. God wants us, he tells us here, he wants us to live these pure lives. Remember in chapter 2, verse 2, he tells us where we get that pure life, that that information for living a pure life, from the pure milk of the word. God wants us to live pure life. Uh, Let's look at verses 7 through 11 where he talks about the love of hope. Verse 7, Peter says, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Again, uh, don't forget that you know. Although I mentioned uh, that suffering and hope are a huge uh, theme to First Peter, also the return of Jesus is prevalent throughout this letter. And here it is again: the end of all things is near. He says, uh, "That's another reminder for us that this world world is temporal and temporary." And you know, our teaching as Christians, as New Testament Christians, is not just simply that He is going to return. But that he is going to be returning soon. He is going to return soon. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit. right? Clear-headedness, a sensible, self-controlled. Well, why? Because Peter wants us to have that in our prayer life. To be able to reflect and and to revere God. You know, we we studied in a Bible class this morning about how Jesus, after he sent the disciples away, uh, he he needed time to go up into a mountain to pray. You know, he needed that time alone uh, to pray, uh, to be, you know, have his mind set and clear and have uh, clear headedness and sensible and self-controlled. Uh, again, I, you know, I mention this from time to time, but you know, a lot of times we treat prayer as a, a nine-one-one call, right? that, that we only, you know, get it out in case of emergency. But that, of course, is not the way that we are to, uh, you know, be praying to God. It, it's something that we should be doing daily. That we should, uh, you know, have a clear conscience, a clear mind, as we uh, reflect on those blessings that God has bestowed upon us. And then look at verses eight through ten. Under the the love of hope, Peter continues. He says, above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards and of the manifold grace of God. You know, uh, in Scripture... You know, there, there, there's a little bit of ambu- ambiguity, if I get that word out, uh, uh, towards, you know, those outside of the body of Christ. You know, of course, as Christians, we're taught that we are to respect and love one another and, and to pray for our enemies and love our enemies. But we're also uh, consoled knowing that that, you know, God's going to triumph over them, right? But to our brethren, to our brethren, Peter says, there's no vagueness about it. He says, above all, keep fervent in your love for one another. Again, above everything, keep your love for one another at full strength is really what he's saying. And I know we have some, you know, maybe younger kids who play video games uh, in here. And I used to play video games back uh, a while ago. And, you know, if you're you're a character and you're going around and you might get shot or hit or something and your power bar gets smaller and smaller as you lose uh, you know, as you keep doing worse in the game. Um, but eventually there are times when, you know, you might find um, a heart or you might find a mushroom or something that's going to repower you. Right? It's going to take your, um, it's going to take your uh, power bar and put you back at full strength. Right? That's what Peter says about our love for the brethren. It needs to be at full strength at all times. Because love covers a multitude of sins, he says. You know, loving one another means being around one another. And the more we meet together, the more chances we have at doing that. But it also means that the more chances we have to be together, that we might uh, accidentally offend someone or we might be offended. And, of course, we understand, you know, the church is no place to wear our our feelings on our sleeves. It's a place where we need unity and harmony and goodwill and peace. Uh, You know, that's how we are to live as Christians with our brethren uh, therefore, our, our love, Peter says, must overcome our mistakes. You know, it must overcome our mistakes. Uh, it must, uh, love covers a multitude of sins. When we are living in a loving way for our brethren, uh, again, uh, that love is going to um, you know, put aside those things that we might have, a, have a, um, done to our brethren. This verse is not a license to sin. Peter is not saying, go ahead and sin as much as you want, as long as you keep loving. Uh, that's not at all what Peter is saying. But he is saying, uh, the, the love that we show to one another is going to prevent those things uh, down the road. And so verse 9, he says, because of the love of your brethren, you're going to be hospitable to them. You know, We know that the scripture uh, talks about being hospitable in many places. Matthew chapter 25, Jesus said, you know, I was, an, I was a stranger and you invited me in. And the Hebrews writer in Hebrews 13, verse 2 says, uh, you know, be hospitable to, you know, even strangers because you don't know if you're entertaining an angel. But notice what he says about being hospitable to your brethren. Again, without complaint, right? Because you're, you're, you're giving to your brethren. Verse 10, he says, serve in love with your gifts. Now, again, when we talk about gifts in Scripture, we need to remember the context that we're in. And in the first century, of course, the apostles had the ability to, um, to, to, have a, you know, to impart spiritual gifts to uh, other individuals, things that 1 Corinthians chapter 12 talks about, uh, prophesying and speaking in tongues and uh, interpreting tongues. You know, and, and there's a whole list about nine of those uh, miraculous things uh, that they could do in the first century that were used to help build up the church. But now that we have the completed word of God, the, the scripture, we no, lo- we no longer need those miraculous things. And so Peter, um, even though he might be talking about the miraculous to those Christians in the first century, today he's talking to us about using those naturally endowed gifts that we have. You know, and notice again, he doesn't say there uh, if we have a gift. Uh, but again, in, in verse 10, he says, as each one has received a special gift. You know, we all have gifts that we can use to glorify God in this life. You know, I often think of Barnabas in the Scripture, the son of encouragement. You know how easy it is to encourage one another, and he was so great at, it, and that was one of his gifts that he that you know that he did. It wasn't a miraculous thing, but he was able to you know encourage and stand up for people. And again, Barnabas is a great example of one. Uh, who had that gift. Uh, Romans chapter 12, verses 6 through 8 also mentions some other gifts, non-miraculous gifts that we have in this life, such as a teaching and serving and leading and giving. And so, again, Peter says, uh, re, as each one of you has received one of these gifts, you know, use it for the serving of your brethren. And then look at verse 11. Verse 11 it says, Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength, strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. You know, this is a verse that I often think of. Uh, it, you've ever watched Notre Dame football, you know, and they come out of the locker room and they slap that sign that says, Play like a champion. You know, th- this is sort of that verse that I know a lot of congregations use Uh, You know, before a worship service, you know, they'll get the men together and they'll, uh, you know, use this verse to kind of pump the men up, if you will, uh, because, you know, they're going to be going out there and they're going to be serving on behalf of God. Uh, They're going to be out there speaking on behalf of God, praying on behalf of God for the people, for the brethren that they love. And, And he says there, and they do that so that in all things, God may be glorified. Again, whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. And whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength with God's supplies. And and there, uh, Peter concludes his thoughts on the love of hope. And let's let's look at this final uh, portion as we notice the God of hope in verses 12 through 19. Uh, Verse 12, Peter begins by saying, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that which you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exultation. Remember all the way back in first Peter uh, chapter one, verses six to nine, when Peter was talking about, you know, how our, our trials that we go through in life are sort of compared to, uh, you know, testing them by fire. Uh, to show the proof of their faith you know are, are they going to withstand the fire like gold and silver uh, or make sure that our faith is you know an imperishable thing well here again he brings up this idea of a fiery ordeal there in verse 12 uh, they're experiencing this testing uh, you know is their faith strong enough to take on the slander that they're receiving is their faith enough strong enough to take on maybe the boycotts they're they're receiving in the marketplace you know they're christians people are pointing out that's a, you know that's a christian over there that that's selling wheat don't go and purchase from him right can they withstand that and peter says don't think it of that it's strange when that happens to you right there was a story of a, of, a, of a preacher for a small congregation, and he enlisted in the army. This was a man by the name of David Stowell, he, and so he went off into basic training. And when the men found out that he was a, a Christian preacher, they gave him a rough time. Uh, he was purposely assigned by his superiors to uh, detail the, the cleaning of the latrines, right? Probably one of the worst uh, jobs possible. But you know what he did? He cheerfully accepted his position. He did his work well. He showed no resentment. And he made an impression on a lot, on a lot of his fellow uh, soldiers. Many who he actually won them to Christ. Well, why do we suffer? You know, we we ask that question many times. Maybe it's a form of heavenly discipline, maybe it's to, uh, you know, identify and be able to encourage others in this life who are suffering with the same things. Uh, Maybe it's to draw us closer to God. Maybe it's to remind us that this world is not our home. Uh, The suffering, Peter says, that we're experiencing in the name of Christ was a guarantee of their relationship with Christ. Remember what Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 3, verse 12? He said, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Therefore, Peter says, keep on rejoicing in it with exultation, with exceeding joy. And then notice in verses 14 through 16, Peter writes, If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or thief or evildoer or a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in his name. Suffering, Peter says, because of Christ is an indicator that God is with you. But make sure that your suffering, he says, is not because of, of being a murderer or, or stealing or doing evil or, or, or being a troublesome meddler. Uh, other translations uh, translate that a busybody in other people's matters. You know, it, the word really means to oversee the affairs of others, be an inspector. Uh, but Peter says, mind your own business. Don't, don't suffer in those types of ways. But if you are to suffer as a Christian... You are to suffer uh, in accordance to God's will. You know, the word Christian is only used three times in all of Scripture. And here is one of those instances in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 16. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed. Rather, he is to glorify God. And then finally, verses... Well, uh, not finally, but verses 17 and 18, Peter uh, continues. For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first... What will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will become of the godless man and the sinner? This is the judgment that begins with the household of God. you know God allows suffering for his people. Uh, we know that because he's refining them. He's purifying them. If we're not experiencing suffering in this life as a Christian, you know, the Hebrews writer in Hebrews 12, verse 8 says uh, you know, that, uh, that we're illegit- illegitimate children. right? Because God disciplines his children. Just like a, a, an earthly father disciplines his earthly child, the heavenly father disciplines his, heaven, or his spiritual child. And so if you think uh, what Peter is saying really, what he's saying in his verses, if you think what you're going through right now is rough... What will be the outcome of those who are godless? What will be the outcome of the sinner? He says. The answer is implied. It's going to be much worse. Those who do not obey the gospel of God, he says. You know, Paul said something very similar in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 8, when he was when he was referring to the return of Christ. That Christ was going to return in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God. And those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's just interesting that Peter says that it'll be difficult. It's difficult for the righteous to be saved. You know, Jesus, again, he said in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, uh, enter through the narrow gate for the, you know, the way is broad and that's going to lead to destruction. He wants you to enter through the narrow gate. And he quotes here, Peter quotes here, Proverbs 11, verse 31, that says, if the righteous will be rewarded in the earth... How much more the wicked and the sinner? You know, basically Solomon's saying there is that both are going to get what they deserve. And isn't that motivation enough to stay clear of any eternal suffering? And then Peter Peter ends this uh, chapter for us in verse 19 where he says, Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. To suffer according to the will of God is to suffer innocently, just as Jesus suffered. God hardly wills the suffering of the faithful, but rather it's that his saints be people whose lives, again, indict the world, whose lives display the world's sins against the backdrop of a godly and pure and holy behavior. And when saints do this, the world makes them suffer but this, this is the suffering, Peter says, that is in accordance to God's will. Suffering innocently for being a Christian. And we understand that God will never, never let us down. And so that concludes First uh, Peter chapter 4. Next week, we, we will, God, Lord willing, we will move into First Peter chapter 5. And we'll look at the hope of leadership and also the hope of humility. And we'll close out First Peter, and then move on into Second Peter, uh, hopefully uh, in a few weeks. And the, really, the the message of Second Peter, and if you want to go ahead and start reading it and getting ready for it, uh, the the theme is really remembering that Peter is going to ask them to remember this and remember that. And so, again, our hope in Christ's suffering uh, this evening it reminds us that we need to live pure lives. Because, again, we're done with sin. We, we want that uh, lifestyle no longer. We don't want to live like we did in the past. We want to love. Again, in, in, in being prayerful, uh, loving our brethren, showing hospitality, and, and, and loving God. And also that God has us in mind. Right? When we're going through th- suffering in this life, God has us in mind. He is strengthening our hope through that suffering that we're going through. And no, we certainly don't suffer uh, intensely as they did in the first century or even in other parts of the world today. We can think of some communist countries or Muslim countries where Christianity is outlawed and, and maybe a punishable by death. And we don't have to deal with that here. But we as Christians must expect suffering. Remember to keep Jesus as your example, though, when we go through it. And keep on rejoicing as you share the sufferings of Christ. And that's really what Peter wants us to understand uh, here in uh, 1 Peter chapter 4. And this evening as we offer the invitation here, uh, if anyone uh, maybe have not put on Christ in baptism. Maybe you haven't experienced being part of the church or being part of his body. Uh, We know that the Bible tells us that we need to hear the word of God, believe that Jesus is the son of God, repent of our sins. Confess him as Lord uh, before man and also to be immersed in water for the forgiveness of our sins. And the Lord will add you to his church. Or maybe you're here this this evening as a member of this congregation, but you need the prayers of this congregation. Uh, Maybe you're you're struggling. Maybe you need encouragement uh, from your brethren. Again this is no better time to do that the brethren here I know will, will show the support and love that they uh, would if it was for, if it was for them coming forward and so uh, again if you need the prayers of the, the saints here please let us know as together we stand and sing.